morning. Can you hear me? There's nothing worse than not being heard, is there? Um, we're in the uh, second part of our new series in Acts, and last week David introduced us to the first 11 verses of chapter 1, and we're in the rest of the chapter, verses 12 to 26, and uh, we will be reading that in a moment. Um, it's all about waiting, and what do we do while we wait? Clearly, some of you have been waiting outside here for an hour and getting probably frustrated, maybe even a little bit angry, I don't know. But we all spend our lives waiting. And we're going to find in these particular verses there are two things that the first disciples were waiting for. One of those things is available for us now, even today, and, and the other one is something that we're all waiting for that hasn't happened yet, but one day most certainly will. How good are you at waiting? Terrible. Terrible. Someone here, I think, said good, or else I was, he was talking to somebody outside, I'm not sure. Um, we all have to wait. We all have to wait. It might be waiting for the result of an exam, waiting for the result of uh, a biopsy, waiting for the result of um, a survey on a house you're buying, waiting for the result of your SATs exams, your GCSEs, your A-levels, your, your degree, your masters, your doctorate, whatever waiting for the result of some appeal you're, you're ma making to get your benefits increased. We, we spend our whole lives waiting. And we can either wait negatively or we can wait positively. And I hope that at the end of this talk we'll find some ways in which we can wait positively so that our waiting does us good. That we don't become angry, we don't become frustrated, but we live dynamically in God's waiting room. Today's talk is called In God's Waiting Room. Go, going through, through some papers as we're mo moving, I've been going through a lot of papers, um, I keep all my sermons, so that's uh, 30 or 40 years of sermons that have got, got packed. Um, and I found on a piece of paper that I preached this sermon 18 years ago and had forgotten all about it. The sermon is packed so I've had to start again. But surprisingly, from evidence that I found, it could end up being the same sermon because God wants to say the same things to us. Now, interestingly enough, a fortnight ago, Bob Benson spoke. Can you remember what he was speaking on? Jesus said, I am the vine. And many of the points that he made, I'm going to be making as well. Now, that tells you one thing, at least. God repeats things because he wants us to grasp hold of them. He wants us to build these things into our lives. Don't say, oh, I've heard all this before. If you have heard it before and you're hearing it again, clearly God is putting his finger on something that he wants you 
to act on. So if we can find the book of Acts, it comes after the Gospels, if you're not familiar with the New Testament. We're in chapter 1 and uh, verse 12, and um, I have to put my hand up and say I'm breaking all convention and reading from the NIV. I don't have a small ESB that's portable. You need a wheelbarrow to move them around. So this is from the NIV, Acts chapter 1, verse 12, to the end of the chapter. What I have to say first of all, though, (laughs) is out of the first 11 verses, because there are two things in those first 11 verses that the disciples are told to wait for. The first one is in chapter is in verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now if you go back to verse 4 in that same chapter, Jesus in the second half of the verse tells his disciples, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. If you go back to the last chapter, you don't have to do it now, if you, if you were to go back to the last chapter in Luke, you will find that Jesus says exactly the same thing. Wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So although The scriptures talk about power, they are actually talking about a person. And we know that person to be the Holy Spirit. Now we're in that period of waiting, we're in that transition where the Holy Spirit has been promised, but he doesn't come until chapter 2. And so in a sense we want to hurry through these verses because we want the Holy Spirit to come. The other thing that uh, the disciples are told to wait for in these uh, first 11 verses come in verse 11 where two men in white are talking to the disciples after Jesus has ascended to heaven and they say this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven so the second thing we're waiting or these guys are waiting for, is the return of Jesus. So we're waiting for two things in this particular passage. We're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and we're waiting for Jesus to return. So let's go to verse 12 and read the text. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas son of James. Only 11 of them of course because Judas has committed suicide. Verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers or as your footnote in the ESV says, along with his brothers and sisters. Every time the 
Greek word adelphoi appears, it means siblings, male and female. So when Paul addresses uh, his letters to the brethren, he's including the women, which I think is a jolly good idea. Anyone agree with me? Yeah, yeah that's right. Amen. One reason is that usually church has more women in it than men. And we don't want them to be excluded at all. So the disciples have gathered. Uh, there's 11 of them. And there are others. And there are lots of women. And I get the impression from the Gospels that these women are loaded with money. Because it says a number of women that are named in the Gospels uh, travelled with Jesus from Galilee and they supported him. That's amazing, isn't it? It's good to know rich women. <laughs> are there any in this church? <laughs> it's good to know rich men as well, but it's also good to know a rich God who's totally full of resources for, for us and, and, and his heart is towards us. Have you noticed in that list of the disciples' names, they're in a different order to the one you find in the Gospels? Because normally we find that Peter and Andrew come together and James and John come together. It would suggest that God is shuffling the pack is altering people's um, roles in this embryonic church. That's interesting, isn't it? When you think of what, what's happening here uh, with uh, new elders being promised. And uh, God is shuffling the pack. Verse 14, they all join together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers and sisters. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. That's a sizable church, isn't it? 120. Do you have faith for this church being 120 one day? Full of men and women? That'd be glorious, wouldn't it? And, and Peter said, brothers and sisters... The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. And then you might want to look away for a few moments now because something quite upsetting is going to be put on your screens. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field, there he fell headlong, his body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. We'll pass over that quite quickly, I think. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. If you go to the end of Luke's Gospel, you find a different version of Judas's death. And so you can put the two together. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, and then he quotes from Psalm 69, verse 25, and Psalm 109, verse 8. May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have 
been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men. How they actually whittled it down to two guys, I don't, don't know. Because many in that 120 must have been with Jesus. They must have qualified. But some, somehow uh, it's reduced to two, two men. It's not Jeremy Hunt and Boris Johnson. But it's as significant a choice... Okay, so they proposed two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justus, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. What can this passage teach us? It can teach us, I think, five things. <clears throat> Maybe four or three, depending on how, how the time goes. Um, but I'll tell you what the five th things are first. So, so you whet your appetite and you can work it out for yourselves if we don't get there. The first thing is that they stayed together. They didn't disperse, they didn't scatter, they stayed together. And so this emphasises the value of fellowship, of getting to know one another. And fellowship doesn't just mean a cup of coffee at the end of the meeting. It means our lives being shared together. There's an American co commentator called uh, Elton Trueblood, and, and, and he calls the early church the company of the committed. And he writes about how they're not just committed to Jesus but they're committed to one another. Committed to one another. And if you're familiar with Acts, you have to just go to the end of Acts chapter 2 and you find what's normally given the headline, the fellowship of the believers, how they spent, every, it seems, every day together. And they were workers. Some of them were slaves, perhaps. Some of them were... Um, retired maybe but they spent as much time together as possible because they had so much to learn and one of the ways in which we learn is through one another have you ever had a conversation with someone and you think well I never knew that before or you've had a conversation with someone and you feel really challenged in your heart by something they, they've said. might just be a throwaway remark, but it's, it's registered with your heart. You think, my goodness, that's awesome. If they're doing that, I think I'd better start doing it. Because I can see how God's active in their, their life, and I want God to be as active in mine. Wow. And all this stuff about the Holy Spirit, I'm not, not too sure if I believe that. But I've seen the impact that being filled with the Spirit has in people's lives. I want that for myself. I grew up in a denomination that didn't have any room for the gifts of the Spirit and the baptism in the Spirit. And so I found it very, very threatening. But once you see the impact of it in people's lives, you think, oh, my goodness, that is awesome. I remember a, a meeting in a conference up in Harrogate. 
Dale's Bible Week, anyone remember Dale's Bible Week? I really embarrassed myself by putting my hands in the air for the first time. It wasn't really embarrassing at all because everyone else had their hands in the air. But for me, that was a huge breakthrough because I thought when I do it, everyone's going to turn around and look at me and think, what a chump he is. Because the church I grew up in, we sat there in solemnness. If anything exciting was happening, it was probably our toes tapping inside our shoes. But you didn't get excited, really. And to find Christians getting excited about their faith, I found, personally, very threatening. But God wants to keep threatening us, I think. He wants to keep introducing us to new things. He wants to keep taking us out of our comfort zones. You got a comfort zone? One thing about a comfort zone is it's comfortable. Isn't it? Oh, I love this. Like a nice big blanket. And then some hand comes and takes the blanket away. Oh my goodness, I feel so exposed. I feel threatened. I feel vulnerable. But that's what the Holy Spirit does to us. He works in our lives to get rid of stuff, but to put more stuff in us, more of himself. You don't agree with me, obviously, so um, right, I'll go home. Anyway, the first thing is, they, they st- I'm just meant to be reading the, these five headings out, but I'm not, am I? <laughs> the first thing is, they stayed together. The second thing is, they prayed together. The third thing is, they paid detailed attention to Scripture. The f- I'll repeat all these later, unless you've got shorthand. Uh, the fourth thing is, they made decisions. And the fifth thing is, if we get that far, they made way for one another. So, they stayed together. They prayed together. They paid detailed attention to Scripture. They made decisions in the light of what they'd heard in the Scriptures or what they'd read, and they made way for one another. So, they're in this waiting room. How did they wait? They're not waiting passively, they're not waiting uh, fearfully, they're not waiting um, confused, they're actually waiting in a very positive, dynamic way, and Peter is leading the way here. And um, you might ask yourself, why does he think it important to choose a replacement for Judas? He's found two scriptures, And the chances are, although we're not told this, that the days that Jesus spent teaching his disciples after his resurrection, he could well have told Peter to do do this. We don't know. But one thing we do know is that they don't yet have the resource of the Spirit. How do we know that? Well, we know it because we're not in chapter 2. But we know it because... For the last time in Scripture, they cast lots. I get my set of dice out, shall I, and cast them? These were probably small pebbles or small pieces of wood, and one of them would be marked. And that handful of objects would be thrown into a receptacle, and you'd pick one out. 
In the Old Testament, you, you will be familiar with the high priest on his breastplate. Um, there'd be, I don't know, a little pocket or something. And he'd bring, bring out the Urim and the Thummim. The scripture doesn't explain what they are, but in a sense, that was casting lots to find the will of God. Bless God, we don't have to do that now because when chapter 2 comes, we can rely on the Spirit. Are you dependent on the Spirit for making some of the choices that you make in life? I mean, some of it's fairly obvious. You have to pay your taxes. You have to drive on certain sides of the road. But there are other things where we need the wisdom of God and bless God for the leading of the Spirit. Getting ahead of myself. Let's go back to that first point. What was the first point? They stayed together. What do you do when you are hurt? What do you do when you are offended? What do you do when things aren't going so well and you feel like sulking? Do you gather with other Christians or do you stay away? Some of you will have heard of the, the American uh, pioneer called Daniel Boone. I forget which century he was in. But allegedly, whenever he built a cabin in the wilderness of North America, if he saw the smoke of another man's ca cabin, he would move and build a cabin somewhere else where there weren't any sm uh, smoke uh, signs go going up into the sky. He wanted to be alone. Does God want us to be alone? He doesn't want us to be alone. He wants us to enjoy the fellowship with Father, Son, and Spirit, but to enjoy the fellowship with one another. You get the impression from the, uh, certainly the early chapters of Acts, that they depended on one another. They didn't stay away. They met in as many creative ways as they, they could, in their homes, in the temple courtyards, uh, certainly um, just after the re resurrection. Uh, there are two who are going on a journey. Um, I like to think it's husband and wife, but I don't find biblical evidence for that. Uh, they're going on a journey to Emmaus. And they're talking, talking, talking. They're fellowshipping with one another. They're learning. And God wants us to have our hearts warmed through fellowship. He wants our hearts to be informed as well as warmed. He want, wants us to learn from one another. Now, sometimes it's learning about Scripture and about the truths of God and about how to live as a Christian. But sometimes it's just about how to live how to live life in a positive way. And so we copy one another. The Apostle Paul said on at least one occasion in one of his letters, copy me as I copy Christ. That's a very bold thing to say, isn't it? You know, it's like having a camera in your home. And whatever you're doing, you say, do what I do. Are you glad there isn't a camera in your home? Or would you welcome one? So they stayed together and others joined them, men and women. They enjoyed 
all the blessings of fellowship. And so a question is, are you experiencing all the blessings and benefits of fellowship with God's people? Are you spending enough time with one another? You can do that creatively on your own, or is the church providing enough opportunities for social interaction so we can get to know one another? We can keep asking questions like, like that, but we have our homes, and this is how the early church grew and flourished as they invited people into their homes and as they um, just learned from one another and did life together. That, that's the first very important thing, the value of fellowship. The second thing is that they prayed together. It says they were constantly in prayer. You think, oh boy, gosh, have I got any more prayers to pray? I, I, I don't know. But if you're living life together, if you're staying to get together and learning about one another, there's always going to be plenty of stuff to pray about. We, we met, met up with a couple that we see perhaps once a decade, and um, we went, went and had coffee to get together around, around, around a circular table. We were the only people in that part, part of the restaurant, and uh, at the end of our time together, we held hands around the table and prayed, prayed for one another. Um, it's as simple as that. And I'd encourage us to keep doing that, to do it and do it and do it. Not only the meetings for prayer, which I believe this is emphasizing, but also opportunities for, for prayer with one, one another. And in growth groups and uh, people that you're having a meal with, etc., etc. Um, in Acts chapter 2, towards the end of chapter 2, when it talks about um, the things that they devoted themselves to, this great chunk of people, 3,000-odd, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. In the Greek, it actually says, the prayers. They committed themselves to the prayers. Now, that doesn't mean they're learning prayers off by heart, but what it means is they commit themselves to meeting, meetings for prayer. They, div they committed themselves to the prayer meetings. And this church has a number of prayer meetings which I would encourage more people to go to. More people to go. Because it's when you are praying together that you are learning what's on one another's hearts, you're learning what's on God's heart, and you're le learning about one another as well. What's important to that person? What's the thing they keep praying about? What's the thing they don't pray about that I need to pray with them about? Because uh, that's clearly a need in their life. So they committed themselves to the prayer meetings. They prayed together. So a question, are you experiencing enough of the power of meeting together for prayer and for praying with one, one another? This is over and above praying by ourselves. I think we could take it for granted that we, all Christians pray. We are probably praying all day, aren't we, in our heads and hearts. But 
making a deliberate effort to pray with other people and to come to all the gatherings for prayer that the church has. The third thing that these people do while they're waiting is they pay detailed attention to Scripture. Now, how could Peter recite those two passages from the Psalms? He didn't have a Bible. He'd stored it in here. If you go to uh, Matthew 13, verse 52, I think it is, it talks about a householder having a storeroom. And he brings new treasures out. He brings old tre treasures out. He brings new and old things out of the storeroom or the storehouse that he's built up. And Jesus says this uh, because he's talking about every scribe of the kingdom. Now, a scribe of the kingdom is someone who knows the scriptures well. Is that you? Is that you? Do you read the scriptures well enough, often enough, repeatedly, that, that you get to know them? Sometimes, perhaps, your Bible might become so underlined, there's nothing that's not underlined because everything is impressing itself on your heart by, by the Spirit. Or do you think, no, I can't, I can't it, it's the Bible, I can't write on it. I can't underline anything. The Bible is there to serve us. It's not a precious book to be put on the highest shelf in the house. You can put other things on top of the Bible. That's not a problem. It can be in a pile of books. The, the important thing about the Bible is that you read it, believe it, act on it. Those are the three things we need to do with the Bible. We read it, we believe it, we act on it. And it gets into our hearts so much, that, oh, I've got to go and read that again. And if you read it often enough, or you hear it often enough, because some might find it easier to listen to a tape recording, sorry, a CD, sorry, pick it up off your iPhone, whatever. Um, it gets in here. This is where the Bible needs to be. And so Peter, having heard these psalms read repeatedly through his life in the synagogue, is able to remember them, bring them out, and apply them. And so he um, introduces us to the idea of applying the Scripture to real circumstances. It's not meant to be theory out here, but it's meant to be something that enables us to live life as God intends, to live a life that's pleasing to God. I'm spoon-feeding you, but you're all grown up, and all of us are self-feeders. We feed ourselves. If you've got eight-year-old grandsons, you wonder where the food goes. It's awesome. You haven't got eight-year-old grandsons, okay, but 
we have an eight-year-old grandson who has an appetite the size of the Marianas Trench, I think. You know, oh, boy. Woof, 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 woof. Especially if it's fruit or tomatoes. Strange boy. He doesn't like potatoes, doesn't like meat. But fruit and veg, it's awesome. Um, he's a self-feeder. And if you're not careful, he will take the food that you're meant to be eating. He's a self-feeder. Are you a self-feeder with the scriptures? Are you feeding yourself or do you rely on Sunday mornings for someone to feed you? Feed yourself and become someone who can apply the scriptures to real life. Do you read your Bible regularly? Do you read between meals? Probably a lot of people here are snackers. Yeah, you snack. We'll have another biscuit. Snack on the scriptures as well. Okay, so they stayed together, they prayed together, they paid detailed attention to scripture, and fourthly, they made decisions in the light of scripture. They lived purposefully. So in the light of these verses from the Psalms that Peter has stored in his heart, and which he's re recalled, um, they elect, they choose a replacement for Judas Iscariot. They made decisions. They lived dynamically. The early church lived in such a dynamic way that the spare stuff they had, fields and houses, they sold, and the money was distributed via the, the apostles to all the people who were in need in that growing company of believers. They lived purposefully. They lived with purpose and intention. Do you drift through life? Or do you make decisions about what to do every day? Do you get up in the morning and think, oh, I really don't know what to do today? Or do you, do you have clear ideas? Now, perhaps when you're retired, it's a bit different. I tell you, when you're retired, you're busier than ever. Now, Maureen's better at getting up in the morning and saying, I know what I'm going to be doing today. I'm not so good at that. I get up in the morning and think, oh, I've got a whole day in front of me. I could be doing this, 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 and this. And I'll probably start all of them. And think, well, it's always tomorrow to finish one or two of them. And we've got to live purposefully and di dynamically and make the best use of our time. When Maureen uh, was gi given... Um, her breast cancer diagnosis some 11 year, years ago, her surgeon says to her, we think we've got all the cancer out of you, but you've got to live every day as though it's your last. You've got to make the most of every day. Now that Second thing in the first 11 verses of the chapter uh, that the, um, the disciples were told to wait, wait for was the return of Jesus. Do we live in the light of that return? Do we live in the light 
of that return, when, when, when I was a kid, when I was a t- teenager, I thought, oh, it's going to happen, you know, hundreds of years in the future. Perhaps as we get older, we think, well, it could happen today. This has been the uh, recent days have been the anniversary of the five young American missionaries in Ecuador uh, who were massacred by the Alca. And they have dropped gifts to this little tribe. Um, They'd found a sandbar in the river where they could land their plane and they thought they were going to um, be able to lead these guys to Christ. Um, They were all speared to death. And you can remember, I can remember the impact of that. Uh, I forget how old I was. I wasn't quite as old as I am now, but I remember that being so profound. I think it was 1956, was it? Something like that. before one or two were born. Um, Now, we don't know when that's going to happen to us. We don't know how many days we've got, but in living dynamically for Jesus, we need to spend each day positively as though it could be our last day. That's perhaps a good place to stop, isn't it? Um, You've got point number five, if you can remember it. I won't go go into that. Um, Can I just recommend a guy called Simon Holly? He leads Everyday Church in Wimbledon. And he has a blog, a five-minute blog, uh, every day, I think. And it's called God on the Run. God on the run. And he will talk into his computer camera and uh, just teach you something very significant from the scriptures. And uh, if you trawl back and find Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 26, uh, you will find a five-minute, a beautiful five-minute exposition of my last point. It has to do with, I was equally eligible with that bloke, but that bloke was the one who was chosen, and I wasn't. And I have three names, and he's only got one. How come? So it's how we make room for other people, and how we handle being overlooked, and how we handle uh, not being chosen when someone else is chosen. Very important lesson, very important lesson for all of us. So Simon Holly, God on the Run, a lovely little five-minute blog um, for you to be impacted by. Should we just pray? That's always a good idea, isn't it? Especially as I've taught you about praying as often as we can. Our Father, Father, we bless you that we can never get enough of your word. We thank you that every time we open your, your word, there's something new for us and we thank you that even though he doesn't come until chapter 2 we thank you that we have the Holy Spirit 
And I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us individually and as a company of your people, a company of the committed, into enjoying more fellowship, enjoying more prayer together, enjoying more understanding and application of your word separately and together. Father, we ask you for more uh, decisive, positive, dynamic living because the Spirit is having free reign in our lives. Just come and work these things in us, I pray. Bless us, Father, now as we spend time in your presence. Help us to uh, just enjoy you. Enjoy you in all your goodness to us. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Don't go anywhere, Barry. More